You're now listening to Fundamental Fast Pitch. Good morning, everyone. This is Jessica Tanner with Heather Maloney on the Fundamental Fast Pitch Podcast. Uh, this morning, we're coming at you with episode number 98, Fly Balls 101. Um, y'all have ta- heard me talk a lot about outfield and all the things that go with that. So I'm pretty excited to get into this conversation with Heather today. Um, I will tell y'all, we we always have outlines that we kind of make for every episode. And we just make kind of show notes and make sure that we just have paper in front of us so we cover everything that we want to cover. And this is a topic that we apparently have a lot more to say than you originally would have thought of when talking about fly balls. So pretty excited to get into it. Yeah, this outline just got started and just kept growing and growing and growing. So we'll um, we'll try to hit all the high points and make sure that you get all the basics. This is a 101, so we want to make sure we get a good foundation for everyone to work off of. So we'll kick it right off. Um, so Jess, when you're learning to how, to how to catch a fly ball, what are like the, the first things you need to work on, the, the, the foundation, the core for, for catching fly balls? Yeah, so the biggest thing is going to be reads and positioning. Um, and that's, you're going to go into depth more as you get more into an intermediate player and along the lines. But first things first, um, you need to know how to move. So that first reaction, if the ball's in front of you, if it's behind you, if it's a pop-up, if it's a line drive, um, you need to have an idea of kind of how to attack or how to just play the ball off the bat. Um, Next, we're going to go into where to stand. Um, We'll give you guys some visual and kind of verbal cues to to think through here in just a little bit, but where to position position yourself, which is going to be like underneath the ball, but I'd say like a step maybe two behind it, depending on like your speed and comfortability, like moving and, and catching the ball at the same time. So um, what you don't want to do is stand underneath it and have your glove up in the air to where if you miss it, it's going to come down and hit you in the top of the head. If you can think about it, you actually want to be kind of like behind the ball so that if you were to miss it, like it would it would hit at your forehead instead of on top of your head, which doesn't sound like fun. Um, we're obviously hoping that's not the case, but just from a positioning standpoint, that's kind of what that looks like. Um, you're going to want your glove slightly in front of your body, not in front of your face. Um, biggest thing about fly balls is seeing them and tracking them. So if you're having to peek around your glove or you can't see the ball, you're already kind of setting yourself up for failure. Um, so again, not in front of your face. Ideally, we'd like to have your glove on your throwing side. Um, that sounds a little bit silly because especially in first starting out, I'll be honest, like we, we just want your glove where you can catch it. We're not going to be too picky, right, Heather? Yeah, no, definitely do what's comfortable until you kind of get the feel for, for catching the, the, the fly ball. And then we can get into the, the little bit more advanced of, of the throwing side. Yeah. So one-on-one glove positioning, um, not only like on your side, but also slightly tilted back. You don't want it to where your fingertips are pointing directly up in the air. You want it to where your fingertips are actually pointing like if they were to continue like back behind you, like behind your back. Um, And then you just, you need to have an idea of how fast the ball is traveling. So if it's like a blooper that it's in front, if it's something that hits, um, is hit hard, if it sounds hard, um, you need to have an idea of the speed because that's going to tell you how to move to that ball. Okay, so so now that we have a little bit of a, a foundation idea of, of what we're what the goals are and what the kind of the groundwork is, um, there are lots of things that coaches or, or people will say to to kind of 
um, cue you into the right movement. So we've got a couple of them listed here. And if you could just go through them and like uh, kind of explain what they mean. Because a lot of times, you know, like like all different kinds of things, not just fly balls, but we have these phrases we hear all the time. But what do they really mean? So uh, what does it mean when, when somebody tells you to, to beat the ball? Yeah, so I'm going to give you guys, well, starting with beat the ball, but I'm going to give you guys kind of my my verbal cues in order of how you can anticipate them kind of happening. So first things first, beat the ball. Um, what you're trying to do there is you're trying to teach the player to react and immediately move to where they think the ball is going to be. Um, one of the biggest things I see with kiddos trying to catch fly balls is you see like a lot of drifting, a lot of like sidestepping or even backpedaling. Um, instead you want to actually like sprint and kind of get into the position that you think the ball is going to land so that you're like there and ready for it. And then you can adjust accordingly. Um, so that's, that would be beat the ball. So essentially beat it to where it's at or where you think it's going to land. Um, get underneath it, get under it. Um, same thing where you're positioning your body and, and your glove to be able to catch that ball. So again, underneath it with maybe a step or two behind it so that it's in front of you, not directly overhead. Um, call it. This is a big one. Um, fly ball communication. I know we've talked about that in one of our previous episodes, but that's a really, really big one. Um, so make sure you're calling it um, loud, proud, and and you're communicating it so that if there's other people that are near you or trying to to catch the ball, that everybody knows um, who's going to be going and trying to actually make the catch. Um, from a from a visual and like a positioning standpoint, I always try to remind the younger players that their glove hand needs to feel like they're a pizza server. So um, again. You don't want to have your fingertips pointed straight up. You want to have your hand slightly back to where your palm is more towards the sky. So from a visual standpoint, um, you can often, I mean, everybody loves pizza. I would venture to say everyone has probably gone to a restaurant or had, had been served um, a pizza at some point. So um, in order to carry that big old pizza pan, you have to have a flat hand with your with your fingers kind of pointed back behind you. And that's the very feeling that we're trying to emulate when catching a pop-up. So if we can remind them like, hey, pizza, pizza server, pizza server, that gets their glove into a good position for the ball to fall into the pocket rather to rather than to like hit the top of your glove and like bounce off. Um, and then my last one is um, one of my favorites, especially for the younger kids, um, covered up. So um, all we're doing there is uh, encouraging them that as the ball hits the pocket, um, they are taking their offhand, their throwing hand, and they are physically covering the ball up and pushing the ball into their glove so it doesn't come out. Um, that's a big one. I actually see a lot of kiddos that do a good job of getting underneath the ball and calling it and doing all the other things. And then it's like, hits their glove falls out. Um, so that's, that's a, it's a big one to conquer, but it's very, very effective if you can get them to just use that offhand to protect it. Yes, that one where they've done everything right and they've gone and tried to make this awesome catch and then it just pops out at the last second because they didn't use two hands. I always tell them, be cool, use two hands, you know? Um, and you always so hear the parents and they're like, oh! like The, <laughs> the collective all, oh, yeah, that's a bad one. <laughs> uh, going back to the beginning there, though, the, the beat the ball and get under it, that seems to be, um, for some players, like the hardest thing for them to kind of kind of get or, or conquer is like because beating the ball, I see a lot of drifting, um, not a lot of players are like take off and, and 
confidently go uh, quickly to where they think the ball is going to land. And then other players um, also have a really hard time getting under the ball. I think that's more fear-based. Um, do you have any like tips or anything on teaching or helping uh, players kind of get over that hurdle on those two? Um, two of my favorites that kind of come to mind, one at the more beginner level is um, a drill that I like to use called popcorn. Um it kind of takes away that fear aspect because it's more like a game. So they're not thinking about, oh, we're working on pop-ups and they don't have time to think about if they're scared or nervous. Um, but you can kind of make it more, like I said, more of a competition, more of a game. Um, but that's where you just put the player in front of you and um, you're throwing them like pop-ups pretty quickly to where they're having to catch it and move, catch it and move, catch it and move. And you can make it to where it's a competition where it's, okay, like you get to go until – you um, until you drop a pop up and whoever has the most um, at the end wins. So then they're thinking about that rather than maybe the other stuff that kind of distracts them. Um, and I like that one not only because it it plays into giving them a little bit more confidence and taking that fear away, but also because that's one where you have to be moving quickly and you have to get a good first jump and reaction and um, you don't have time to drift. You don't have time to just like wander anywhere. Yeah, and, and thinking back now to when my daughter was, was quite a bit smaller and we were learning pop-ups and I was trying to get her to move her feet instead of just drifting. I remember we used to do something where I would set up a cone and I'd tell her, we would we, she would stand in one spot and I'd set up a cone a little ways away from her and I would tell her, I'm going to throw a pop-up and my goal is to like make it land on that cone. So just run to the cone. I want you to get the feel for running, like going hard in that direction. And then once she kind of got the idea of it's okay to, to run and not just drift and kind of wait and see and, and meet the ball, but beat beat uh, the ball to where it's landing. Then we could take the cone away and, and give some variability to it. But that was a good one for her at least to get the feel for, for moving to get the ball. Yeah, that's a really good one. And to give them that kind of like benchmark of, hey, here's – instead of making them read it and having to do all this extra stuff um, in addition to having correct form and mechanics and things like that, um, you can just give them that visual, hey, I'm throwing the ball here, I'm throwing the ball here, so that it, again, takes that thinking aspect away from them. Yeah, it, t- it took the thinking away. It took um, just some of the variables out of it until she kind of got the hang of it a little bit. So that's one way to simplify things for those youngers. Um, okay, so some of those visual and verbal verbal cues, cues that we hear all the time, it's it's really good to kind of explain those every now and then because it just they kind of lose their meaning after a while when you hear it so, so, so those things so often. Yeah, and those are just mine. Um, though I have found success in them. They're they're teachable at any level, any age, any skill. So um, if you have others, that doesn't mean you have to use these, but these are just some suggestions. Okay, so we've talked about before, we've had a whole, whole episode on fly ball communication, but we've got to touch on it here. So real, um, you know, high level, if, you, if you're looking for the details, the nitty gritty, go, go listen to that episode, the fly ball communication episode. But let's let's hit the high points um, on fly ball communication. What do we want to make sure we're doing on fly balls uh, when, we, when it comes to communicating? Yeah, so I remember at the college level, I can remember my coach telling me that the easiest thing to do in the game of softball is talk. Um, it's, it's an effort based, it's, it's, yeah, this, uh, yeah, this is true, but on the field, like that's the, you don't have to, like, that's the easiest thing to do that it doesn't have anything to do with the outcome or the play or skill level. It is just communication. So, um, when it comes to fly balls, uh, the earlier you can call for the ball, the better. Now with that being said, 
there's a fine line between um, when you're doing drills and I'm giggling because I see this happening in my head right now and you have the players that are maybe if you're doing like throwing drills and you have them calling it and the ball hasn't even like left your hand yet right so those are the ones that are like like your yes man and you're super following directions but don't understand the concept of the when and the why in terms of calling the ball so um the earlier the better but knowing that one, you can for sure get there and make the catch. And also that like, it's a ball hit to you, not like if you're in center, not like directly at the left fielder and you're trying to go take a ball away from them. So, um, when calling the ball, um, loud, proud, short, and quick, um, what you want to stay away from is like the long exaggerated, like mine, like one time or, um, even terms like, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Like, no one knows what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So um, that that can be kind of confusing, especially if you have a teammate that's in the vicinity that is trying to make the catch too. Um, so um, short, quick, um, stick to one word um, communication and call it multiple times. So um, what we like to use is, um, and this kind of goes into designating infield and outfield priority, which I'll talk about in just a second, but um, calling mine or calling ball. So we like to teach our infielders to call mine, 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 because it's short, it's quick, it's easy to understand, and it's very different than ball, 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 ball. So those are two very different words, and it's really easy to quickly determine who's calling the ball. So um, the reason that that's important is when we talk about infield versus outfield priority, rule of thumb is shortstop is the boss on the infield. They get to call off any other infielder outfielders are the boss or have priority over all infielders. So if an outfielder calls off, any outfielder calls off any infielder, they have priority. Um, And then if center, center field is like the boss of bosses. So if they call off any outfielder or any infielder, um, they, they, they need to be the ones making the catch. Now, the reason that this is important is just because of kind of like vision and like line of sight across the field and kind of where you are. And then also taking into consideration like maybe arm strength or softball IQ. Typically your shortstops, your center fielders, not only are they going to kind of be like the bosses of like the infield and the outfield, but they're going to be like your more athletic players, maybe some stronger arms. So um, that's kind of the reasoning behind that. Would you agree, Hiller? Yeah, definitely. I mean, those those middle in up the middle is kind of like the where you kind of put your softball IQ players too. So they kind of have the the wherewithal to to change their play on the on the run or if things change. It's it's just good to have um, those kind of players that are kind of in charge. Yeah, and and not only make that play, but maybe even be looking for the next one or looking yeah. for the next out. So. Um, when we talk about like, so for example, let me give you guys an example. So if I'm playing left field and there's a blooper that's hit between shortstop and left field, um, if the shortstop's going for it, they're going to call mine, 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 mine as many times as they can. Outfield's going to call ball, 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 ball. Um, if outfield calls the ball, then the infielder is going to kind of peel off and get out of the way and ideally become like a backup in case they miss it or something happens. But um, the outfielder has priority or is the boss, like we said, because it's a lot, also a lot easier to run in to make a catch than to run backwards. Um, So that's kind of like our do's and don'ts on fly ball communication. That's my very, very short version. Um, I could talk about this all day. Uh, We haven't even talked about like fence communication. So um, 
that's more so just on calling the ball itself. Uh, but a couple of rules too. Uh, it's important that you never call the ball for someone else. Um, so what I mean by that is the players that like don't want the ball or, or they're just like, Oh, you got it. You got it. You got it. And well, if like someone's calling a ball for me and I'm not calling it, I'm going to scramble. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be nervous. And then I'm going to feel guilty if I don't catch the ball that I didn't call for. So, um, just make sure that you're calling the ball for you and nobody else. Um, and then in that same breath, if someone does call the ball, um, at least at the younger levels, I would say when you get into like your high school and your college levels, it's a little bit different because you get to know your teammates and you, you're at a little bit higher skill level. Um, you can actually have full fledged conversations like with pop-ups and outfield, like I've, it's happened. Um, but you don't want to get into the habit of like, I'm going to say, for example, if Heather calls a ball and I'm like, Oh, you got it, you got it, you got it. Or like things along that nature, because then she doesn't know what I'm saying. Like, so it can, becomes very confusing and there's risk for her thinking that I'm saying, I got it, I got it. And then you just let the ball drop and both of you stand there and look at each other. So <laughs> that's definitely a no, no. So no, no calling the ball for someone else, but there's like, you're saying there's a difference between just calling the ball for someone and then helping someone out. Because like we've said before, I think I've said before that, you know, I've, played a little bit of outfield and slow pitch, but I'm not good at it and I need the help. So you have helped me before, you know, uh, you know, telling me if I need to, you know, back, back, back or, or whatnot. So there's a difference between calling the ball for someone and then helping someone. So, and, and that's something that you're going to experience when you get a little bit older, as you get better at reading the ball and, and communicating, get better at that uh, communication on the field. But um, we're not trying to deter anyone from talking in a sense of, of helping of your teammate. We're just you know, don't call it for them. Don't tell them that they have it. If, you know, if, if you're not calling it for yourself, you're not calling it for anyone. Yes. And so like, let's talk about some of the helpful things that you could, that you could do to communicate to a teammate. Like you said, you could tell them in, 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 or, um, back, back, back. Like again, those short, quick, loud one word cues. Um, Another thing, like I mentioned, is the fly ball community. I mean, the fence drills, excuse me. So if if they have room, if they need to find the fence, if they're going to hit the fence, all of these short little one-word cues, it's fine to say them and help them. And, and it's expected, especially at that that higher level. But it's different than, like, like assuming that someone else is going to catch the ball. Right. Yeah. I think you're going to see the calling for someone else a lot at the sort of the not the super young level, but kind of like the 10, 12 you sometimes because beginner, beginner. Yeah. Because in, in, in those cases, I think what we're talking about mostly here is, is calling the ball for someone else because you don't want it or you don't like, you think even, or you're not even going to give up yourself a fair chance of trying to go catch the ball. You're just like, Oh, it's too far for me. You go get it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of what we're trying to stay away from. Yeah. And the, and another point to add to is like if you let's say you do call the ball and then you're like oh crap like i need i need help right so whether it be a sun ball or the wind picked up or you just got a bad route and you're crisscrossed or you called it prematurely and you can't get to it in that instance um it's okay to ask for help like literally say help help um i can't see it or um just letting your other outfielders and infielders know that if they have a better opportunity to make the catch to please step in and call you off and do so um, for whatever those reasons. Yeah. So we talked about, or you mentioned if, you know, um, you get kind of crossed up in your communication and you both kind of pull up and let the ball drop. Um, 
So what what do you do if, if that happens or if, you know, maybe it's not a miscommunication, you just made a mistake and either miss the ball or let it drop? Um, you know, how do, how do you fix that problem? I can tell you what not, <laughs> not to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you know I was going to say that? Yes. Um, what you, so you're saying like if the ball, if you drop the ball or you, you miss it or... Ball, misread it, maybe it goes over your head. I mean, basically the ball does not end up in your glove ready to throw. What you don't do is pout and look around for somebody else to go get it. Um, you you hustle up, you go after it, and you throw the ball in as quick as you can. And then if you're me, you take your glove off, you hit into your glove because, of course, it's your glove's fault. <laughs> Reposition yourself. Um, add in that a little bit of accountability. Like, hey, that's my bad, guys. I'm going to get the next one. Like, it happens. You you see these college and, and professional players and even baseball players that are missing fly balls. And, like, it's part of the game, right? Um, but it's how you respond and how you react after the ball hits the ground that matters. And especially um, if you're playing a good team and they're good base runners, then you're going to expect them to be running. So every step that you're not taking go get the ball, they get three. So just keep that in mind. Um, if, it, if things don't go your way for whatever reason, you miss it, you drop it, um, you misread it, just hustle up after it and get it in quick. Yeah, ideally you would have a fellow outfielder backing you up in that situation, um, but it, no, it doesn't always happen, or maybe they just haven't quite made it there yet. So don't waste time, you know, like you said, pouting or just kind of looking around to see if anyone else is going to come get the ball for you. Just put your head down, go get the ball as quick as you can. Start to stop the bleeding, you know, if you will. Um, okay, so for, for me, when I'm in the outfield, the hardest thing for me is getting that initial read on the ball off the bat. Um, for whatever reason, when I'm way out in the outfield, I just cannot see it very well. I can see it so much better on the infield, and so that's what I struggle with most. And I think this is probably something that you're just going to have to kind of get better at with experience and just tons of reps. But what are some things to kind of keep in mind to to help yourself get better at reading the ball off of the bat? Um, so first I'll say this is a skill that some girls just have um, better than others, not not even necessarily have to practice it or pick it up quickly. Um, and that, especially at the younger age, those are the ones that you'll naturally kind of see grow into like your outfielders because it is a very hard thing to do. It's probably the hardest thing to do in the outfield. Um, but in terms of reading the ball off the bat, when, when you're first starting out, you're first learning outfield, um, because it is different than infield. It's a lot different, actually. Um, I think your safest bet is just your first step back. Um, it's better to have the ball drop in, in front of you than go over your head and give the batter all those extra bases and extra steps. So, um, safest bet when you're first learning is get your first step back and that will give you a better idea of if you need to continue moving back or if you can move forward and try to make the ball, make the catch in front of you. Um, as you get into your more like more skilled players, your more developed players, your first step becomes a read. So it, I don't agree with the whole first step back um, at any stage. That's I don't agree with that. It's it's going to be a read. So um, you, the best thing to do is you're actually going to watch the ball um, at the point of contact with the batter. So this is where it becomes really, really important and very hard as an outfielder to make sure you're engaged and you're prep stepping and you're watching the batter um, because that point of contact, one, you can tell if the ball's going to be coming to you or not based on where they're making contact. But then also you can see the the pat, like the angle of their bat and where the ball hits it. And that will kind of give you a better idea of how the ball is going to travel to you. 
Um, I will tell you, there's always those like sneaky line drives that they look like dry line drives and they keep creeping, 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 creeping. Those are by far the hardest to judge. Um, but if you're watching the batter and point of contact, um, and I'll take it a step further. If you've got maybe your middle infielders that are, um, or, or you somehow know what pitch is being thrown, that can kind of help you expect um, and better prepare for how to read and move to the ball if it's hit your direction. So what I mean by that is... Um, Let's say, for example, you've got a right-handed hitter and your pitcher is throwing, your right-handed pitcher is throwing a screwball. So that's going to come into righties. So if you're playing left field, you can expect if they do things correctly and everything goes as expected, you can expect that that ball is going to come to you. Well, because a screwball is already moving into the batter's like hands, um, it's going to have some extra tail when it gets to the outfield. So you can expect that ball to continue traveling and kind of curving more towards the line than being straight at you. So I know this is fly ball 101 and I'm getting a little bit deep here, but um, th for those reads and for those more um, experienced players that are listening or coaches that are listening, um, the, the outfielders knowing what pitch is coming truly does help because then as an outfielder, it tells me, um, how to move if I need to give a few extra steps to kind of get on the outside of the ball so that it doesn't go towards the line. Um, it just, you have a better plan, right? We always talk about having a plan and kind of how to best set yourself up for success. So that would be an example of how to do that. Um, so just to recap there, your more developed players, your first step is not always back. It's a read. Um, if you know right off the bat that it's going to be a blooper, it's not a hard hit, there's no reason for you to waste those extra seconds and take that first step back. It can be a hard charge in, and that may be the difference between it dropping in front of you and you getting the out. So um, as you get more developed and you become more confident with your fly balls, um, you just want to make sure that your first step is your best step. And what I mean by that is directionally, um, whether you think it's going to be hit hard or over your head or line driver in, you're moving in the right direction right off that first step. Um, and then in terms of actually how to attack the ball, um, a, so a blooper for, for that first step, a blooper is going to be a hard step in. You're immediately going to be charging the ball and trying to either catch it on a scoop or slide or dive or, um, or, um, in the air, a line drive is going to be a freeze. Um, so it gives you a better chance of seeing if that ball is going to continue to travel up, if it's going to be right at you, if you need to take a step back, um, and then your safest bet on a on a hard hit on a launch angle. So what I mean by that is, let's say that you can tell that the hitter like gets all of the ball, right? And their their bat is positioned to where their hands are like slightly above their bat, so it's kind of, their barrel is kind of pointed down at the ground. That's what's called like a a good launch angle. So you can expect that that ball is going to be coming to you and it's going to get there quickly. Um, so that would be an example of when it'd probably be a good idea to take that first step back. Yeah, that reading the ball off the bat is something that I just cannot stress enough. No matter what position you're on on the field or in at, on the field, you should be reading the ball off the bat. And and it's an active, like it's a skill that needs to be practiced. You you you. It takes effort. You have to pay attention, and um, it's so valuable to be able to read it off of the bat. Whether no matter where you are on the field, um, do you know the best way to practice that? Um, experience. What? No, like in practice, get those game reps. Active shagging. Oh, so, I love active shagging, but it's, it's not people. Not many people do. <laughs> yes. Well, 
it's it's hard to stay engaged so what we mean by active shagging is like essentially like playing your position and so pretending like you're like making the play or trying to play the ball off the bat every rep but a lot of teams or coaches or girls are just not focused enough right and in and in tune enough to to practice that and to me that's time wasted no you're right and actually you say that and I'm just thinking of the other day we were at practice and we were doing this we were supposed to be active shagging so of course I had my glove on I was at shortstop I was I was every every hit off the bat I was taking three four steps whether it was to me, near shortstop, or if it was in right field, I was still going whatever direction for three or four steps. And um, some of the players were, see, we had someone at first and someone at second base, and I was taking more steps than them on the balls hit to the right side of the infield. And I was like, guys, what are you guys doing? You know, we, this is shagging. We're supposed to be reading the ball off the bat. So, I mean, like you said, it's a missed opportunity. It's wasted time if you're not active shagging. And that's a, such a great way. And because it is one of those things that you can't just... You can't replicate no, it. No, you can't replicate it. You can't just think about it or, you know, go through the motions. It's not muscle memory. It's it's seeing it. It's experiencing it. You have to, you have to pay attention and, and, and make the effort to read the ball off the bat. Um, and it's just such a valuable skill no matter where you are on the, on the field. So... Um, yeah, that's that, that's the hard hard part for me in the outfield because it is so much different than it is on the infield. So, you know, if you're a player that that's young, uh, make sure you're getting reps infield and outfield because you don't know where you're going to ne- necessarily end up long term. Um, and if you're an infielder that may sometimes get a chance in the outfield, um, you should probably be getting at least some reps out there just so you can have a feel for it um, and and not be kind of caught in the dark um, if you do get st- uh, put in the outfield. This is my uh, shameless plug and reminder that the outfield is not a punishment and <laughs> and it, there's nothing bad about being quote unquote stuck in the outfield. No. Um, you truly do save games and it takes a very special person to be a good outfielder. So parents ease up when your kid goes to the outfield. Very good ad. It's a, I, I don't know why it's, it's hard for some parents. I don't, I don't know. Because it, they don't, they're probably not taught or shown the value uh, it's, at least at the at younger least levels, younger. like nobody's hitting the ball out there, right? That's true. So. That's true. <laughs> but you know that changes, and then and then it's really important to have a good outfield. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, um, we talked about reading the ball off the bat. Um, the best way to practice fly balls: reps, reps, and more reps. Absolutely. And what are some drills? Um, well, so we talked about the popcorn drill. That's one of my favorite. Um, that's one where you can start off tossing the ball kind of high so they can get underneath it and get, have more time to get to it. And then as your players advance, you can toss them shorter. You can mix in some line drives. You can toss them faster. You can spread them out a little bit so they're having to cover more area in between catches. Um, a good progression that, that I really, really like, and actually this is one of, um, I learned this drill from Heather, is the the balls off the forehead that <laughs> sounds terrible but um it's a progression and this helps with not only their body positioning but also getting through that that whole fear of catching a pop-up or a fly ball and getting hit in the head so um what i mean by that is i would start with even like light flights something super duper uh, like balled up sock i yes. mean it doesn't matter what it is something, soft something squishy. not scary yes um light flights um yeah balled up sock that's a good one um, and then transition maybe to tennis balls and then, um, you could move to ping pong balls. I know ping pong balls are probably lighter, but the level of difficulty is going mm-hmm. to increase because they are more susceptible to wind and movement and, um, 
and then maybe small wiffle balls. Um, and I would do all of these. So the, the, this drill, I would do all of these with no glove. Um, you, I would still encourage them to kind of run and pretend like they're sticking their glove up, but the goal is to have the tennis ball hit off of their forehead. So again, not on top of their head, but, um, literally on their forehead so that they get an idea of where their body needs to be positioned in order to catch a pop-up. Yeah, that's a good one. And that's one where, that I started with my daughter when she was, I don't know, six or seven. And we would just keep a tennis ball in her bag. And if we were ever early to practice, that was the first thing she wanted to do. And it just kind of grew, um, you know, as, as other players would arrive, they'd be like, oh, what are you doing? And, you know, it's, it looks funny and weird and, and kind of fun. So they would, you know, by a couple weeks in, we had like the whole team coming to practice early and bumping tennis balls off their forehead for the first few minutes before practice got started. So it's a fun, a fun drill, and they don't even realize they're kind of getting over their fear as they're playing this game. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so those are kind of more introductory drills. Um, so I call these football drills just because they always remind me of like running routes for receivers and everything. Um, but um, football drills, so you're working on drop steps and kind of changing direction and, and how to move on balls that are that, that beat you or that are hit over your head. Um, the triangle drill, um, it's called a triangle drill because you use three players and you set them up to look like a triangle, two at the bottom, one um, split at the top. And um, in this instance, you could say, okay, the person at the top of the triangle, that's your outfielder. So if they call it, they have priority over the two infielders. You could designate one of the girls on the bottom as shortstop, one as second, so that they're kind of starting to understand infield versus outfield priority. Um, and you just tell them, hey, like the ball can't drop. So throw it wherever you want. Keep them on their toes. Don't continue to throw it in the middle. Throw it to the side. Throw it behind them. Um, throw it in front, throw it outside the triangle. Um, don't get to where you're just having them go through the motions. You still want this to be kind of like a reactive drill. And then a good variation on that one is you can actually, instead of having them facing you to begin, you can have them turn around. And so their backs are facing you so that when you say go or ball or whatever your keyword is, they're having to jump around and react to where the ball is. Um, so that's a good good way to kind of incorporate that that good correct first step on movements to the ball um and then with any of these drills make it knockout style make it a competition um good health, healthy competition is always a good idea um but that way it's again you're taking their mind off of being scared or um or anything like that and you're giving them some kind of motivation like hey this is a game let's see who can win and that kind of will help tie into the the competitive nature of the game itself um, I don't want to get in too deep because I have a feeling we could get uh, on a on a roll here. But what are some of the um, the things you see, that you commonly see when and kids are trying to catch fly balls when the, you know mostly when they're first starting out? But it, some of these issues can carry on for time. Like uh, I think my favorite, not most favorite, is uh, the running with your glove out. Um, that's a that's a problem when it comes to catching fly balls. It's I, um, the the running with your glove out. I had I coached with a, a guy who who made like the best um, re most relatable uh, question uh, for these little kids. Like, I think it was like eight you or so that we that that I experienced this. He asked them 
um, after he saw them running with their glove out to catch a fly ball, he said he he put his arm up and he said, "Do you guys run through the the playground at school with your arm up like this?" And they looked at him like he was crazy. You're like, "No, why would we do that?" And they're like, "Well, why are you doing it now? It makes you slow." And you look silly. <laughs> and you look silly. <laughs> that's a good one. No, that's that's always a hard one. So in that instance, you can get um, you can actually like tuck their glove and like tie um, a ribbon around it around their glove and their elbow you can use um like the resistance bands or something something just to kind of keep it close um or another one is you can actually have them you can actually put a ball in their glove and have them run with that ball while they're moving to go and catch another ball so the goal there would be to okay as you're running you have to keep that glove squeezed tight and tucked so that the ball that ball doesn't come out and then you drop that one to catch the other one yeah i think a lot of times that well, maybe not a lot of times. I think it becomes a habit and then it's hard to break. But I think a lot of times that, that, that habit starts because they don't or haven't been taught or don't know how to tuck their glove. So if you can teach a kid to tuck their glove anytime they're running, um, whether it's for a fly ball or maybe they're just jogging out to their position on the field, teach them to tuck their glove all the time and that will help that problem a lot. Yeah, and I and I can empathize with you guys there because I'm sitting here like <laughs> like physically going through the motion of how I would tuck my glove. And that is not a natural like or like... Yeah, like a natural motion yeah, to I think mean, about doing that. It is now because we've done it for how many years? It just seems natural to just tuck your glove when, you, when you're when you jogging or running anywhere. But, you know, that's not a natural thing for a kid who just put a glove on and it feels like a foreign object on their hand. You know, it's it's something, you know, to teach your kids to tuck their glove, It'll I think it'll kind of nip these pro- that problem specifically in the bud. Yeah. And so on the whole like glove topic, another most common issue that I see is when kiddos go to catch a fly ball and their gloves turned incorrectly. So what I mean by that is um, balls over their head instead of turning their glove where their fingertips are pointed back and their palm is to the sky or pointed back like back behind them. Instead, they, they turn their glove to where their fingertips are pointed out in front of them and they're trying to like stick their glove up in the air in front of them. And so that if the, think about it this way, if the ball does hit their glove, it's going to pop out and hit them in the face. And so that, that's a big one because then that's where that whole fear thing starts coming in. Cause it's like, yeah. Oh, it hit me. I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm fine with the, the kids wearing masks these days. I, I, you know, when we were playing there, there was no such thing as a fielding mask, but um, I don't, I'm sure it was a problem. I just don't remember it, but, I think when you do actually do get popped in the face, you kind of learn that lesson a little bit quicker. Yes. I think it, it that problem kind of sticks around these days because of those fielding masks in part. Um, because that you know when they do, do put their glove the wrong way and get popped in the face, they didn't don't really get popped in the face. Yeah, and that's one of the hardest ones I think to correct too. Yes, once that Be- one gets ingrained, man, especially if they tough. catch it, because they're oh, like, yeah. "Well, why well, would I, I change yeah. it?" Because I caught it. I'm like, "Well, yeah, but it, <laughs> you look goofy, and that's not going to help you when you get older." <laughs> um, so that's that's definitely a big one. And then another one that comes to mind for me is the the kiddos that they do so good, they get a good read, they run up to the ball, and then they just throw on the brakes and they let it drop like right in front of them mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, whether it's fear or um, most of the time it is fear, but, um, that's, that's a really tough one. Cause it's like, man, you did everything right. Just stick your glove out. Like, because the read is the hardest part, right? Absolutely. So, um, that's, that's another like a hard issue to kind of work with. And, um, I think that's where your, your idea of like the cones and the running to a spot, um, that would be a good drill to kind of help break that one. Yeah. And I'm sure there are t- 
so many other things we could get into that might even kind of fall into the pet peeve category, but um, I think that's a, a natural stopping point on the the issues. I can't think of any glaring ones that are just, uh, you know, huge. That... Or, or the players. Actually, no, I thought of another one. <laughs> um, when we talk about fly ball communication, the players that call it and then don't go for it. Oh, yeah. So just reiterating, <laughs> like, hey, like, once you call it, especially if you are calling someone else off or if you're an outfielder, like, like calling off an infielder once you call it like you are committed to catching that and unless you say otherwise so what I mean by that is if you're you're calling it you're calling you're like oh help help I sunball I can't see it help okay that's different but if you call it and call it and then you throw on the brakes and you miss it that's yeah that can't happen yeah I think yeah that falls into the pet peeve category (laughs) I think but that but definitely an issue and um something that again Practice is going to help all these things and practicing with quality reps and making sure you're doing the mechanics correctly and, and, and letting your players know that it's, it's okay that you're going to make mistakes and, and, and you're going to not catch the ball as you're learning how to do all these different things because it's, you know, it's not easy. So, yeah. And on fly balls too, the biggest thing is being able to like celebrate when your teammates do catch a fly ball. Like that's such a huge boost of confidence. Yeah, no, that was, especially the little ones, man, it's it's something that, um, at least for my daughter and a lot of the kids I've coached, it's it's a really hard one to kind of, to jump over that hurdle of, of catching a fly, a pop-up or a fly ball, um, it's, whether it's a fear thing or just a confidence thing, um, that's something that we made a point to celebrate, so um, with my daughter, we that's something we practiced and practiced and practiced, and I finally, and she got good at it in practice, but in games, she still was just too timid to go for it. So we had a deal. Um, the deal was if you catch a pop-up in a game, we go get ice cream. So I was going to say the snow cone for it sure. Was, it was, yeah, ice cream was her choice. Um, so that was something, and when it became, you know, we had to go get, you know, multiple ice creams, we, uh, we, we, we ceased that deal and changed the deal to something a little different. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, sweets are always a good one. That's a win for every age. But um, again, I know this is Fly Balls 101, and we probably went a little bit deeper dive than than needed, but Fly Balls are important. They're an easy win. Um, They can be a momentum changer. So just make sure that as coaches, you guys are taking the time to practice them correctly and like we were talking about, celebrate the the little wins and pop-ups. I mean, an out's an out, so. Oh, definitely, an out's an out. And um, anything you can do to urge them along to, to do those things in games that they've been practicing so hard in practice, man, let's, let's do it and let's celebrate them. Agreed. So, man, we are rapidly coming up on episode number 100. Um, this has been episode number 98, Fly Balls 101. Uh, we'll be back later in the week for episode number 99, talking about catchers and traffic control. Um, that one is guaranteed to be a good one. So hope, hope you guys are able to join us on that one and everyone stay safe and we'll be back soon for episode number 99. Everybody take care and have a good day.